Let's get to the book of Revelation. Amen? All right. So this is a continuation from last week. So last week we were in Revelation chapter 11. This week we are in Revelation chapter 12. But what we have to realize is Revelation 12 is helping us see what many commentators say is an overview of the beginning of time. This chapter starts with a great sign from heaven. And it's mentioned as a great sign from heaven because it's to point to something extraordinary. Something that's different. It's a great sign. It's not just a sign, but it's a great sign. So let's see what this great sign or these great signs are pointing to. So Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. So we're going to tell you exactly today who the enormous dragon is, who exactly the seven heads are, where the ten horn, horns come from, and what exactly the seven crowns are. Not going to happen. So two signs appear here. And during these two signs, we see three beings that are brought up. There is a woman, there is a child, and there is an enormous dragon. So for us to generally have an idea of what's going on here, we should try to understand what they symbolize. So the woman, her child, and a dragon. So is this woman Israel, or is this woman the church? Um, some people think that this woman could be Mary. Here's what I say. I don't think it's Mary. But is it Israel, or is it the church? Um, some of this, again, goes back to how you would interpret the rapture. If you interpret the rapture uh, as being pre-trib, then the church is not here. If you say that there's a possibility for post-trib, then the church could be here. Nevertheless, this is the first of seven signs that appear in the remainder of Revelation. So this is the um, second of four symbolic women in the book of Revelation. There was a Jezebel in chapter 2. You guys remember that. There's a prostitute in chapter 17. And there is the bride of the lamb in chapter 19. So as everything in the book of Revelation, there are different views of what this woman may represent. So the Catholic Church has understood this to be Mary. Others believe it is Israel. Some think it's the church. While others believe it's the Messianic community. And then others would suggest it's not just Israel, but it's the ideal Israel. What do we know, though? What do we know about this woman? Here's what we know. This woman is clothed with the sun. Uh, the moon is under her feet. And she's crowned with 12 stars on her head. So for those who may be well-versed, there is something that points to this in Scripture before. 
And uh, what pointed to this was a dream that Joseph had. How many of you guys remember the dream that Joseph had? Any of you guys? Okay, if you don't, I'm going to read it here. So Genesis 37, 9 through 11. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the, uh, sorry, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So in this, the sun represents Jacob, the moon represents Rachel, and the stars represent the tribes of Israel. And you say, well, there was only 11 stars in Joseph's dream. Well, because he was the 12th, right? The 12 tribes. It might be possible to see her as the woman representing the righteous remnant of Israel based upon where we see this um, idea in Scripture. So, yeah, so we might see it as the righteous remnant of Israel, the people of God. So verse 2 informs us she is pregnant and in labor and agony and about to give birth. So crying out in labor, sorry, yeah, crying out in labor and in pain to give birth is a reflective illustration of the Old Testament images that are often applied to the nation of Israel as a mother giving birth. So we see that in Isaiah 26. We also see it in Hosea 13. And there is no doubt that the nation of Israel has suffered over the years as they wait for the return of Christ. So there's one perspective that would say it's the nation of Israel, right? Yet there's another perspective that would suggest that this woman is um, something completely different. That we are seeing the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, resulting in this woman being the church. God says that he will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So another perspective is that what we're seeing here in the uh, book of Revelation is the woman representing the church. So Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So from the beginning of time, the enemy's plan would be to destroy the woman. He wanted to destroy the woman and the woman is who? The church, the bride of Christ. He wanted to destroy the woman by preventing her from growing, by devouring, devouring the offspring as soon as it was born. Now, we have seen this all throughout history, that the enemy, the spirit of the Antichrist, the devil has tried to kill the unborn. So Herod killed all the infants, right? Pharaoh killed all the baby boys. What do we see going on now? 
abortions. There is a desire to destroy the church through the unborn. Last week, I was able to talk to a friend. Don't get to see this friend often. Um, and when I say friend, talk to them under 10 times uh, my whole life. And when they were talking to me, they said, I, I feel like God's been putting you on my heart for the past um, you know, six months that I needed to call you guys, that I needed to talk to you guys, that I needed to come to church. And I've been going through a lot in my life. And um, I was in a bad relationship, and I ended up getting pregnant in this relationship. Now, this person um, lives, you know, at least 45 minutes away from here. And um, don't even live in, yeah, clearly the county, multiple counties away. They said, it just felt like I needed to reach out to you guys, needed to talk to you. Well, I ended up getting pregnant. And my boyfriend and I broke up. He left. I didn't know what to do. Felt like I was lonely, had no one to talk to. And I got an abortion. Breaks our heart. Um, and you say to yourself, like, that's what, who we want Embrace Grace to minister to. If you just would have called. But the enemy, Satan, is whispering in her ears. Whispering in this next generation's ears. Your baby doesn't matter. Make a decision for you. What we've seen from the beginning of time is Satan, the accuser, has come against the church by destroying the unborn. So how do we interpret Revelation 12 through the lens of Genesis 3, 15? The woman, she's the weaker part of the world, but the spouse of Christ. She's the mother of saints. Clothed, clothed in the sun, this is a, um, the accredited righteousness of God that the woman receives, right? We receive that accredited righteousness, not righteousness that we deserve. The moon, the bride, the church, stands on the earth but lives above it. The, bride, the bride's hope and heart is not on earth but on heavenly things. And then the crown of 12 stars is what many commentators said was the doctrine of the 12 apostles which is the crown of glory to all believers. So, what's being talked about here? Is it Israel or is it the church? Um, I, can't make, I can't make a thus saith the Lord on this, right? My leaning, slight leaning, would be it's the church, but um, I'm not going to die on that hill. What I have more clarity on than who the woman is is I have more clarity on who the dragon is. Seems like scripture is um, a little bit clearer on that. But what we should be noticing is this story at the beginning of time is the first sign in heaven here in the book of Revelation was God having a plan for redemption that would be birthed through a woman. And then the enemy then has a plan to destroy that plan. 
So we should be seeing that. So now, who is the enemy? The enemy is now revealed, and we're going to see the enemy's plan to destroy the woman. So verse 3, Revelation chapter 12. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her children the moment he, or child, sorry, might devour her child the moment he was born. So who is the dragon? It's pretty clear. The dragon is Satan. The dragon has seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. The dragon took with him a third of the angels, a third of the stars, right? Angels out of the sky, out of heaven with him. And he stood in front of the woman who was getting ready to give birth because he wanted to devour the child. I don't know, well, I at least know what culture depicts Satan as. Red with a tail and a pointed thing, horns and a pitchfork. It's not what Satan looks like, right? And even this illustration of what Satan is appearing as here in Scripture, it's so much deeper than that because um, in the end of time, who's going to follow a a pitchfork or a dude with all these horns and heads? People aren't going to follow him, right? He comes as a deceiver, one appearing as light, People are going to fall for Satan in the end of times. So it's much deeper than just seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. Um, I don't think that he will come literally like that because I do believe that these are symbolic of something else, right? So there is much speculation about this. Is this a literal beast? It's certainly Satan. Or is this a system? Or is this pointing to past times? One author suggests this. Revelation 12, 3. The dragon has seven heads, ten horns. On his heads were seven um, crowns. The dragon is interpreted as Satan in chapter 12, 9. Satan represents dominion over the seven world empires. So... Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the future revived Roman Empire. So what this author is pointing to is this is a system of power that's taking place. Now, what's interesting is there are systems that are being established. Um, For example, I brought it up before, there's a a group of world leaders that do not believe in the Bible, that actively teach against the Bible, and they're called the World Economic Forum. So the World Economic Forum comes together and they plan some things that um, definitely go against what the Bible teaches. So will it be through a a group of people that are 
the 0.5% of the richest people in the world that come together when a catastrophic events happen and they say, hey, we have the answer. Here's the answer of how to get through this crisis. So, because they do come from different areas of around the world. But either way, the ten horns are placed on this empire based upon Daniel chapter 7, uh, 23 through 25. The ten horns are the ten kings which will arise in the future. And we see that in Daniel chapter 7, 24. And this is the kingdom from which the Antichrist will arise. Revelation 13, 3 tells us one of the heads was wounded. One of the heads was wounded um, as if slain. So we hear about this, the Antichrist is reigned, right? One of the heads is wounded, it dies, and then three days later, it'll end up coming back to life, right? So God is a creator, Satan is a replicator. What we end up seeing is God brings the two um, witnesses back to life, right? Three days later. So God did that. God, or Jesus, within his own power and God, Jesus came back to life three days later. So here, we're going to talk about this here in a couple weeks. In Revelation chapter 13, one of the heads of this dragon dies, is fallen, and then three days later it comes back to life. So God creates, the enemy replicates. So we're going to see the enemy replicate what God does on the cross. But what's interesting is some have interpreted this fatal wound, wound to the head as um, the Antichrist dying, um, and then he comes back to life. But notice what Revelation 13 tells us is one of its heads was wounded. Remember, the beast has seven heads, and not only uh, one head is, in, sorry, and only one head is wounded. So the beast, the dragon, has seven heads, but only one head is wounded. So the head that was wounded might be the sixth head, this commentator says, this author, might be the fifth head. And what he suggested is Rome, which was conquered by the sword, will come back to life in the future to become the revived Roman Empire just before the second coming of Christ. So I do believe in some speculation. I'm not necessarily saying that I agree with his speculation. But what we have to see here is when the dragon is mentioned, it's going to be hard for it to be one person. I do believe that it's going to be a system in place where um, the Antichrist is ruling different leaders around the world. But what we do see happening is this, is the spirit of the Antichrist, no matter what, will be waging war against the church. But God protects his church. God protects his church. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. So this woman gave birth to a child 
who will rule over the nation with an iron scepter. This would obviously be pointing to Jesus. Now this child was taken care of. It was caught up with God and to his throne. And um, this child was taken special care of. And the church in Christianity has always been protected. The gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus and the church. Amen? So not only was the child taken care of, but um, care for the mother was there too. She fled to the wilderness, which was a place prepared for God. She was in, in a dark place, but God had a plan to protect her. And now the time frame that this woman was protected helps us understand that this woman could not be Mary. And here's why we know. We don't read in Scripture that Mary went away for 1,260 days anywhere to flee in the wilderness, do we? So um, for the Catholic Church, it's hard for me to see that um, because we don't see anywhere else. So Mary wouldn't have fled into the wilderness by herself for 1,260 days. But this woman has been protected, and she flees for, for a specific time. So we're going to keep on going. This woman will flee during Daniel's 70th week. So Matthew 24, 15 through 18. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand then that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetops go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. So God, in the book of Matthew and Revelation, has a plan for his people. God has a plan for the church. So as war breaks out in heaven, God has a plan. So what we see going on here is in the book of Revelation, we begin to see that this is Daniel's 70th week, but it also seems to be pointing back to the beginning of time. So war now breaks out in heaven. Verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to, to the earth and his angels with him. So we see this was at the, um, I guess, before the beginning, right? We see that this this is pointing to and retelling the story of Satan wanting to possess power and authority in heaven to overtake God because of pride. But who fought with Satan? It was Michael. So this war breaks out, and we often as the church think about this war breaking out between two equals, or an equal or God and then a little bit lesser. We often think that there was God in heaven and then Satan thought that he was equal to God so that they would fight and then Satan ultimately lost the battle. But God and Satan are not equal. I could even 
I think, dare to say that um, God and Satan are not even opposites. Nothing can oppose God. There was nothing like God. So God doesn't have an opposite. But the church, and we often just in our thinking think that Satan, now, Satan opposes things that are godly, but God has no opposite. He is just so distinct and different than anything ever. But what we do see in the scripture is, is there is an opposite of Satan. There is someone who has power like Satan, but uses it in a godly form. Now, who is that? It was Michael. What we see here in the scripture is this war that broke out in heaven was not between God and Satan. The war that broke out in heaven was between the mighty angel Michael and Lucifer. They fought. And who ended up losing? Satan. Michael won this battle. Satan was then kicked down to earth. A third of the angels, a third of the stars came with him. So the opposite would be Michael, who is seen as the highest good angel, who opposes the highest bad angel. So why was this war in heaven happening? We learned this a little bit earlier. Satan wanted to prevent God's plan from taking place. Satan understood that he couldn't defeat God, and he couldn't defeat God if he couldn't even defeat Michael. But you know what he could do? Is the lesser. God does not come after, or sorry, Satan does not come after you because he hates you. Satan comes after you because he hates God. Does that make sense? You're not that important. I'm not that important. He knows how valuable you are to God. So what he says is, if I can go get them to follow me and to follow the world and to live lives against God, that breaks God's heart. So what he says is, I'll just go, I'll just go, I'll just go mess with the lesser. I'll go deceive them and lie to them because I can get to God that way. Interesting to think about, isn't it? But we're so, we're so prideful. We think that Satan's coming after us because we're so called, we're anointed, we're so holy, we're so good, we're going to change the world. Well, we might. He's coming after you because he hates God. Either way. So Satan wanted to prevent God's plan from taking place. He acted this way since the beginning of time. He tried to prevent the birth of Christ. He tried to kill Christ. Tried to prevent him from going to the cross. You remember in what, Matthew 4, he says, hey, um, just throw, your off, throw yourself off this cliff. Surely the angels will protect you if you're the son of God. He tries to prevent you and I from knowing Christ. So he wants to destroy God's plan. So there's this battle in heaven, and Satan come, is now kicked out, and he's trying to prevent us from knowing him. So how was this battle fought, though? It would seem as if it was some kind of physical battle. It would seem as if in heaven they were fighting somehow, right? But our battle is different. 
Um, <laughs> I like to joyfully embarrass Macy, and she's okay with it, right? And we were running the other day, and she doesn't run quite as fast as me. And you're like, why are you sharing the story? I, if, if by the time I share the story, I remember, I'll let you know. <laughs> so we're running, and I just start running like this, like I'm fighting. And just running for like a mile like this. She's like, will you quit? And then we're passing people. <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, she loves it. But I mean, she likes it. She doesn't like it, but she likes it. So the other day, the neighbor's dog was out. And I'm like, Macy, look. And I did this towards it. And it got scared and it started to bark. And I'm like, I guess it is intimidating. <laughs> so the point being is there was a battle. Right? There was a fight in heaven. But it wasn't like me running up the street. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't like we, we don't battle that way. You and I fight in the spiritual realm. When it comes to a battle that we're having, we don't get to fight the devil physically. Because if we fought the devil physically, guess what? Scripture confirms you ain't going to win. Remember the, the band, the seven sons of Sceva? These boys, what they wanted to do is they felt like um, they could go pick on demons. So they went and picked on demons. And they came, came back being beat up and all bloodied in Scripture. Look, if, if you're not walking in the authority of God, you're not going to beat the devil in a hand-in-hand hand, hand combat. Right? It's just not going to happen. We fight the battle in the spiritual realm. So there was a physical battle in heaven, but you and I fight the battle in the spiritual realm. So how do you and I fight the battle in the spiritual realm? Um, what was it? Um, 2009, 2010, there was a small group out here of uh, young, younger people. Um, I was in my early 20s. Macy was maybe 18. And we were meeting in the youth room area. And while we were meeting in the youth room area, uh, we were praying. And uh, God was doing some, if it wasn't for that small group, I wouldn't be here today. So God was doing a lot of special things in that group. But while we were praying, just opening up prayer, in my mind's eye, and now it's going to freak you guys out maybe, in my mind's eye, I saw a hornet's nest back here where this projector is. If you need to look, you can look. I saw this big hornet's nest. And in this hornet's nest, uh, demons were flowing in and out of it. It was almost like just, just a hub. And it freaked me out. Like, why would I see this when we go to pray? And um, that night, we just felt like we needed to come into the sanctuary. And we needed to pray. And we needed to... Uh, anoint the seats and the walls and the sanctuary. And we didn't ask for permission. So what we ended up doing is we came in here, and for the younger generation, um, we had a CD player. And people like who are older than me are like, have you heard of a cassette? Or older than that, a, a track, right? Or a record. So what we ended up doing is I went out and I got a worship CD, and we plugged it in right here, and we just worshiped, and we worshiped, 
We said, God, we don't know why we would see this weird picture, but in Jesus' name, we stand against any power and principality that would seek to destroy this church and to keep people from knowing who you are. And we stood here, and we stood here with authority, the authority of Jesus, and people were getting loud. We command you to leave in Jesus' name. You have no place here. And there was, uh, we, we, we were posted up. Like using this is this is God's place. So someone was standing here, and then a girl was standing here, and, and then another young person was standing here. It was like we are posted up across the stage. And we told nobody about this. And then we took the uh, oil and we anointed the seats and the walls, and we say, Enemy, you have no place here. And then we forgot about it, right? We ended up leaving that night. We forgot about what we did. And we um, came to church on Sunday. When we came to church on Sunday, worship was like happening. People were um, engaged and seeking his presence. And we forgot about it. We forgot that we even came in here that Wednesday night. And then what ended up happening is for two hours then, we worshiped and people responded at the altar. And then it finally clicked you know what, the battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not about the pastor having a bully pulpit. It's not about a finely crafted message. What it's about is fighting the battle in the right place. And the battle in the right place was in the spiritual realm. And God has given us authority, as we even mentioned last week, to pull down these strongholds. And what this small group had done that week was participated in a little bit of spiritual warfare that was going on, and then we saw the fruit of it. Some of you are like, yeah, whatever, I don't believe you, you're weird. I do care what you believe, but I know what happened. You can't take that from us. That small group knows. We saw the reality of what God did. We didn't tell Pastor Lyndon. We didn't tell Pastor Mark. We didn't tell the worship team. We forgot about it. The battle is not with flesh and blood. So there's this battle in heaven that's going on, but we battle differently. So how do we battle in the spiritual realm? How do you and I battle in the spiritual realm? How do we battle for this family in Mechanicsburg? How do we battle for the families here in the church? How do we battle for um, the sick, the lost, our family members who don't know Jesus? How do we battle? How do we fight? Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we have to battle in these heavenly realms. We can't, just, we, we, can't, we can't just come to church one day a week and let that be our only worship. We can't just come to church or just put on Christian music a couple hours beforehand. To engage in this battle, I really believe this. The world is not going to hell because... God set the time, and he said, here's what it, I don't think he predestined from the standpoint of, 
We're all going to be robots. And then here's the day he's returning. Now, he knows the day because he's outside of time. I think the reason why Jesus returns is because the church doesn't, the church quits being the church. The church quits being the light. The church quits being the salt. I think America will look different if we would keep on fighting in the spiritual realm, that we would seek first the kingdom of God. So if we would do more spiritual battling by prayer, by worship, by reading, by evangelizing, by loving God, by loving people, by making disciples, by praying for the sick, by helping the orphans and the widows, by being unashamed of the gospel, by fasting, if the church would do more of those things, I think that we would push the gates back. We'd push the time back. Amen? We would be able to see more joy, more peace, more salvation. Um, maybe we'd have more people in, maybe Joseph would make it to the White House. Maybe Esther would find her way in to spare the Jews. Maybe Daniel, right? Maybe these people would be in these places. And maybe they still are, but maybe we need to fight. There is a battle going on around us right now that we are unaware of. There is a spiritual fight going on for our hope and our salvation. Your kids' salvation and their kids' salvation is being raged. A war is being raged against them in the spiritual realm. I remember uh, one of the most impressive times I've seen of my dad. He was on the F or on the fairboard, and we always felt special because we got to ride in a golf cart. And, um, or he could go pick us up a milkshake on the golf cart. Well, the fair board, then the kids were able to meet the country singers. Well, we had Joe Diffie come once. Any of you guys know Joe Diffie? And Joe Diffie came, and we were able to meet him. Dad had his fair board pass. He had all the credentials. And um, the sheriff let all the other fair board members in, but he didn't let us in. I remember seeing my dad stand up to that sheriff. I'm on the fair board. You're going to let my kids in. And the sheriff looked back at him. He said, no, I'm not. And my dad was like, yes, you are. <laughs> and whatever else happened from there, I remember meeting Joe Diffie. Got a picture with him. <laughs> it worked. Our battle is not with flesh. The battle is in the unseen world. So we have to be willing to fight it. Will you, it's not as clear as what we see going on with one another. And the enemy is raging war and waging war against you and I and our friends, your grandkids. 
this generation, the enemy is seeking to destroy and kill them so that they would not know Jesus and that they would be in hell for eternity. So, I want to show you another scripture, Daniel chapter 10, um, 1 through 3, and then 10, 14. So, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. Um, its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. So Daniel, uh, getting this revelation, he had to wage war to get an answer. So Daniel's waiting on an answer. He's praying. He wants an answer. So he has to wage war. So verse 2, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine, touched my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So the way that Daniel chose to wage war was fasting. And women, no lotion. Sorry. What, what Daniel said is, hey, I'm going to eat no choice foods. I'm going to fast for three weeks to see what God will do. I'm going to partner with the spiritual realm. I'm going to do the battle in the spiritual realm. Because sometimes what we think is if, if we just hold up a sign that that's the way that we wage war. Or if we just go to church. No, what Daniel was doing is saying, I'm taking the battle to the unseen world, and to do that I'm going to fast. Verse 10. Um, a hand touched me and set, um, set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that, you're, that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come um, in response to them. So since the first day that you were concerned. So what's happening here is this was 21 days before. Right? Since the first day. But, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. So there was a spiritual battle going on that prevented the message from getting to Daniel. So instead of Daniel trying to go to battle, Daniel battled in the spiritual realm. He battled in the unseen world. So I ask you, are you concerned or are you unconcerned? We battle by complaining. We battle by grumbling. We battle by giving our opinion. We battle by justifying ourselves. And none of those are biblical. We battle by gossiping. 
Daniel battled by fasting and praying, by humbling himself. There was a spiritual battle going on that kept Daniel from getting the answer, but, but he fought through fasting. And through his fasting, it aided the ability for Michael to overcome in the battle. See, this should be changing the way we think about spiritual battles. What we see here is there's a battle going on that we don't see. Right now, there is a battle going on right around us, maybe in this church. You're like, what's well, a church? Shouldn't, um, shouldn't it just be godly? I don't know. Like, I think we can bring stuff in with us too. Whether there's demons or principalities or things in here with us or not, they're certainly outside the church. They're certainly at your work. They're certainly at the gas station, in the school systems, in the government places. Right? So the battle was not with flesh and blood. It took 21 days. So this should be changing the way that we think about battling. And based upon how things are going in the world, who would appear to be winning the battle? Who would appear? Now, um, who's the reason for that? Is it because of bad leaders? Is it the decision churches are making? Or is it because the church needs to rise up and pray? Is it because the church needs to fast? Is it because the church needs to worship and represent Christ wherever they are? See, the church needs to be concerned with people's salvation. The church needs to fast. The church needs to obey. And here's where I leave you with 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of, this, of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So how do we wage war? We fight the battle in the spiritual realm. We demolish arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So how do we do that? We read God's word. We understand God's word. If we're not reading God's word and understanding God's word, then we can't demolish arguments, right? You guys still with me? Or do I need to do some spiritual warfare up here? To fight those battles, we need to know God's word. So I ask you, in regards of God's word, are you concerned or unconcerned? And we must take captive every thought and make it obedient to God. Thoughts of gossip, thoughts of lust, thoughts of lies, thoughts of pride, thoughts of prejudice, thoughts about adding things first. We need to take captive every thought that comes to our mind and then make it obedient to Christ. We must be ready to punish every act of disobedience. So keep people accountable. 
And then once, yeah, it goes on, once your obedience is complete. The weapons we fight with have divine power to bring down strongholds. And the battle that you and I are facing in this world and in this church and in our families and in, even in ourselves is to not be fought with our opinions. Rather, it's to be fought in the spiritual world. Let's pray. Father, may we be concerned this week. I'm not saying be worried. I'm not saying be anxious. But may we have your eyes and your heart break our heart for what breaks yours this week. And Father, when our heart is broken, may we not just give our opinion, but may we fight the battle in the spiritual realm through fasting, through prayer, through worship, through encouragement, through holding people's arms up, through sharing the gospel, through forgiving people, Father, through not holding offenses. May your kingdom come and your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. Help us this week. Fight those battles. May we take it serious. In Jesus' name, amen. I just, you know, like, um, I'll just leave you with this. <clears throat> Sometimes, um, like, man, we just need to do we need to do another 40-day fast. We need to do another 21-day fast. And you know, with track practice, you know what's interesting as a track coach, I, I can tell the kids, hey, you will be here for 21 days straight or you're out. Like, you just have to be. But what's interesting is, guess what? The kids will come 21 days straight. But in church land, I can't be like, hey, church, we're going to be here every night for the next 21 days. I can't, I don't, I, you, you guys don't give me that authority, do you? I don't have that authority. But imagine how different our church would look that if we had the hearts, that, that, that if we were concerned a little bit more, that I said, church, we will be here every night from 7 to 9 to worship and pray and to fast. How different would things look here? I think revival would take place. Number one, revival would take place because there would be unity. And God blesses unity. But even if we had a 21-day prayer where we come in and worship and pray and fast, maybe we'd start off with 20 people. And then I end, well, no. I'm just not, I'm not giving any justification today. You can be mad at me. We'd start with 20, maybe we start with 30 people. And then my thought and where I need to keep on fasting and praying and worshiping more, right, and interceding for the church is my thought then by day 17, we'd have five faithful families, right? So how do we get to this place where we are obsessed with him and we just want to be here all the time? And you're like, but Joey, life happens. The things, we're adding the things first. We need to seek him first and he'll deal with the things. Why well, have to make money? Yeah, I understand. Go make money, but soccer, track, football, 4-H, FFA, recreational sports, whatever else we're doing, like why are we putting those things first? Do you want the next, why are you mad at, why are we mad at the next generation for not being here when we were trained to go to sports on Sundays? Sunday wasn't a priority because we were trained to go to sports. We were trained to go to the malls or whatever else. We can't be mad at them because that's how we trained them. 
Nevertheless, I've had enough um, bully pulpit today. God bless you. Love you guys.